You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Um, so thank you for joining with us. As we're uh, getting started today, we are uh, beginning a new sermon series that I had planned really before anything this week even happened or before we really knew exactly what was going to happen this week. Um, but I don't need to tell you that it's been quite a week. Uh, and for many of us, there will be some uh, looming conversations at the Thanksgiving table, I imagine. Um, or perhaps, if you're doing Thanksgiving differently, at the Zoom Thanksgiving table. Uh, there's going to be a lot of conversations, I think, about winning. Uh, because over the last kind of, you know, little while, what we've seen is a lot of, uh, of name-calling, uh, a lot of crude remarks, and a lot of bitter rivalries. And that was just at the Florida-Georgia game last night, too. Um, so go Gators. I know there's many of you who are out there. Um, but of course, you know what I'm talking about. You know that we've been living in this, this kind of season, this turmoil, this unknownness for a long time, this, this, this deep division. And so what, what God placed on my heart as I began to think and pray about, Lord, what kind of sermon series do we need to start next um, that'll help us as we look forward to the time that's next? Of course, I can't foresee things and can't tell what's coming. But what I thought about was really this idea here, uh, this idea of winning. And just seeing such a contrast about how you and I define who wins, who loses, and really as I read the Gospels, understanding how Jesus begins to change not just the game, but the players, right? How, how Jesus's goal is to change each one of us. And that's what I want to look at in the sermon series over the next couple of weeks, is what does the Bible talk about winning? What does it look like we win together, and specifically as the church community, um, because as followers of Jesus, we are part of the world, we're part of different groups and different organizations and jobs. But as the church, I believe that winning looks different for us. And so we're, we're going to look at three elements of that, and most of it comes from the book of Ephesians. And so we'll be talking about how uh, we live into this. Um, because we get excited when our team wins, we get excited when we win a contract with work, we get excited. I get excited when we win Mario Kart uh, and I play with my kids and, and sometimes they win and I don't, right? So my question that I really have for us is this one. How, are, how do we ensure that we are winning? And my understanding is that depending on how we define winning, we'll decide what that looks like for us, right? Our definition of what it means to win tells us if we are winning or not. And so part of what I hope to do in this series is to reorient our definitions of what it means to win around the concept of who Jesus Christ is and what God has called us and who God has called us to be. Uh, so I want to begin this morning by looking back at Scripture and thinking about how, uh, how the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus defined that. So we're going to look at Ephesians this morning, and uh, Sandra Chambers will be reading our Scripture. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I'm glad to be able to share the scripture with you today. It's from Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love, and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, 
and in all. Sandra, thank you for uh, sharing that reading today and uh, for getting us started. And I love verse 3. I love verse 3. Preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. And to me, that's what it means to win as followers of Jesus Christ, right? Um, preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. There's a lot in Philippians or in Ephesians that we're going to talk about, but today we're going to talk about how we win united, right? We win when we are united together. Uh, and my hope is that's what can be next for us as a country. But even more, we as the Church of Christ have a responsibility to model to the world what it looks like to win united in spite of our differences. Because my realization is that if we can't get it right and we have the God of all things on our side helping us to live united, it's going to be hard for the world to get there. But with God's help, we can do this, and faithful Christians have done this before us, and so we, we can lean into that. So what I want to do as a way of helping us to live forward is to look back at what exactly this passage from Ephesians meant in the original time that it was shared. Because you see, when, when Paul was talking about the unity for these believers, he was talking about the newly united Jew and Gentile. Right? So in Christ, they were now one. And yet, my hunch was that one of them was looking at themselves as a winner. One was looking at the other as a loser. And so you had these overlaps of, well, who's winning in this scenario? And who does God want to win? Right? So I want to explain to you a little bit about the background of what it would have been like for these Jews and Gentiles to, to live together in this setting, because no longer are they two separate groups, but now they are one body. And, and, and the word that's used there is one body. And so you really get the sense that God wants them to be united. And so in order for them to win, they're going to have to learn how to work together. And Perhaps, you know, 2,020 years separated from all that, it doesn't seem that hard for us to figure out how they could do that. But the truth was, is that if they remained separated, they would defeat themselves. They would defeat the witness of God in the world. And, and people who are watching kind of from the outside in would just say, I don't know what this Christianity thing's all about. Like, they can't get it right, and they're supposed to have, you know, God with them. But the truth is, is that their unity together would also not be easily won. This wasn't just something that would just happen automatically and happen naturally, and it didn't happen that way. Let me kind of give you a little bit more background. When we reference someone in the Bible who is a Jew, and in this time when Paul references uh, the Jewish people, he's talking about anyone who is a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you or your family lineage was part of the 12 tribes of Israel, then you were part of um, the Jewish family. Now, on the other side of that coin, kind of everybody else was considered uh, Gentile. And so you can see the lens that is being read from this is Paul is probably writing to a Jewish congregation who sees themselves as the insiders and everyone else, regardless of anything about their life or their geography or their ethnicity, as, ex as outsiders, as Gentiles. And so these were, in particular, the Hellenistic culture that was prevalent in Jesus's time. Uh, and so here are just maybe a few of the differences. Jews and Gentiles ate different food. And some of the food that the other one ate was impossible 
for the other one to eat. They had differences in clothing, and it wasn't just that some of them liked, you know, a button-up shirt and other of them liked the t-shirt. These were uh, drastic differences between what Jews believed they could wear and what other Gentiles would wear or not wear. Jews had very specific rituals around washing. And so they had, they had differences in how they washed and when they washed. Of course, this isn't a surprise to you, but they had differences in how they worshiped, right? The Jews worshiped the one God and, and the Hellenistic world really, really kind of brought in a variety of different gods and, and, and goddesses and, and levels of deities and those kinds of things. And it was a, a, a polytheism contrasting with the monotheism. They even had differences in art and the way that they depicted things. And some of the ways that uh, the Gentiles would depict things in their art was, was unacceptable to the Jewish understanding of how that would look. And their art looked so much different. They had a difference in their academics. Of course, they had differences in their languages. They had drastic differences in their social customs. And they even had differences in their architecture. Right? Like, like they can't even get on board on how to, how to build things the same. So what I want you to see is that this idea that, you know, oh, Jew and Gentile united together in Christ and like, perfect, easy. No, absolutely not. Food, clothing, washing, worshiping, art, academics, languages, social customs, architecture. Like they could not be more different. And so here's the central focus is that for the Jewish people, their culture and their whole way of life and living, everything about who they were in their soul, was centered around the Hebrew Bible, around the rabbinic writings of the rabbis, and around a deeply held belief that in one God, that there was one God who created the universe and everything in it. Now, on the other side of that coin were uh, the Gentiles, this Hellenistic culture that was a mixture of both Greek and Roman mythology, and morality, philosophy, and politics. Feels kind of like how we as a country and perhaps even as a world have felt recently. We're just, we can't even find like the smallest point of connection with the person on the other side. And so how in the world are we going to win in a situation like that? Well, I think we can learn something from this uh, fragile unity that we find in Ephesians uh, because, of course, Paul's big concern here is to begin to level the playing field. The, the, the Jews had an advantage in the game, if we're thinking kind of football terms, because uh, they had the home field advantage. They'd already known this God for thousands of years. They'd walked with him. They'd talked with him, and they had lived life together. The, the Gentiles, are, they're just coming into this thing new. They, they're, they're the away team. They're trying to figure out, you know, the turf and the, the climate and the conditions. And so there is this sense of advantage and what Paul wants to do is to begin to level out the playing field between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. And so his appeal to them is to live into a real embodied unity, love, and common worship among the Christian communities in Rome. So Paul's letter to the Ephesians is designed to be sent to a bunch of churches. It was kind of a, a, a CC, if you will. So, so of course, Right, they didn't have like Gmail back then, but Paul would have like typed in the two field, you know, to the church at Ephesus, CC, a whole bunch of other churches. Right, so part of what he's trying to do is to lay out some really high level groundwork that can help this church and that church and this one and that one. That's good for us. 
because it's a reminder to us that this book still speaks to us today. The good news of the Bible is that Paul gives them some practical guidance. Uh, And it's summed up here in this idea of what would Paul have them and us do? Uh, And so I want to share this quote from Dr. Jamie Clark Soules. She's a New Testament professor at Perkins School of Theology. And she says this. Here's essentially how she summarizes Paul's advice. Grow up! Growing up may require standing down because mature Christians are more concerned about unity than personal triumph. Sometimes I get my feelings hurt when my kids beat me at Mario Kart, right? And that's like the most basic level of winning, right? How much more does that escalate up the chain when we begin to look at things that, that matter more deeply to us than video games, right? right? We, I mean, we get upset about football games, and some people get like really upset about football games. But, but maturity recognizes that even above that, there are some, some drastic differences in perspectives. And so how might we grow into our faith by being less concerned about, about personal triumph and more concerned about unity? So as we see here in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 16, Paul writes this. He reconciled them both. Now, the both he's talking about, you know this, the, the, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. He reconciled them both as one body in Christ, and one body to God, by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. So this is, this is big stuff. In Jesus, there was this breaking down of these differences and barriers that Quite honestly, we as humans have erected between ourselves. And he reconciles them together as one body in God. And so as uh, Sandra so gratefully read, uh, read for us in our passage, the idea here is that unity is found in this idea that, that as a church, I'm just talking about us as, as the church, bigger than citrus, but the church together, that unity is found in our connection to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, as a United Methodist Church, one of the ways that we practice a piece of that is in baptism. Uh, If you are baptized by a different church or a different denomination, whether as an adult or a child, and you join a Methodist church like Citrus, we don't expect you to be re-baptized as if to say... (laughs) Hold on a second. You got that you got that Baptist baptism? Like we're going to need to get you taken care of here with the Methodist one. Now, it's a recognition that in Christ there is there is there's one baptism. And so I think that's just one small way that we can say yes, we are different. And yes, we see God's work different. But we can also meet you there and we can be united together in those places. I also want to remind us of course that that unity isn't uniformity. And unity doesn't flatten out diversity or or distinctives and and try to make all of us feel and think and see the exact same things. Winning means creating more space for more people at the table who are very different than we are. Winning doesn't require that everyone who shows up to the table believe exactly as I or we do, right? So my understanding of Paul here in Ephesians is, this question of how have we allowed some of the external things, the game, right, that we're talking about, the game of life, impact the way that we see the church? 
Have we flattened who is welcome at the gathering table of Jesus, or are we expanding it? And the more I read the scriptures and the more I understand who God is and and my own need for forgiveness and reconciliation, I recognize that, that more often than not myself and, and others, that we have simply just closed in the table of who is welcome. And, and I say this often, but I love the idea that Jesus is constantly expanding the circle of who's welcome. And the Jews may have had trouble with the Gentiles coming to their table. And maybe the only reason when they allowed them to come is because they have begun a relationship with Jesus and they love Jesus and it seems like these Gentiles love Jesus and Jesus wants them at their table even if they don't. That's a good place to begin. The truth is for us is how we define a win is what makes all the difference. We win when we remain united as believers in Jesus despite all other odds and forces that would seek to pull us apart and say that we are too different to be together. Ephesians 4.3 tells us that we ought to make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. Now, that's not like a half effort, right? This is every effort to preserve the unity. Like try, and when it doesn't work, try again. And when it doesn't work, try again. And it reminds me of when Jesus said, you know, like in answer to the question of how many times do we have to forgive someone who hurts us, and Jesus like 70 times 7, right? And this reminder that this kind of unity that God envisions uh, for, his, for his kingdom is intended to be hard work. It's not easy because we are different. And quite honestly, it takes maintenance. It takes practice. It takes conversations. It takes us being uh, humble enough to sit down with those who are different than us and have a conversation, and recognize that we may not agree on everything, and that uh, if we've learned anything once again in this, this election cycle, is that, that in the United States, we have very different perspectives on what ought to or should come next. And I believe that sitting down and taking times, just as the church, together, will help us to understand how we might preserve the unity of the Spirit. I want to kind of land the plane here with Ephesians 6.15. Uh, it ends by saying, and put, on shoe, and put shoes on your feet so that you're ready to spread the good news of peace. I think this will help us as we go out this week. So um, we put shoes on, right? They may, they may look different. Maybe <laughs> it's still flip-flop weather here in, in Florida. Um, so maybe you don't have laces to put on. Maybe yours have Velcro. Maybe you have um, a fancier shoe, a more casual shoe, a running shoe. The next time you sit down, and this week, each time you sit down to put your shoes on, shoes are a symbol that we are going out. And when we go out, even in a distance time, we're going to see people. We're going to interact with people, even with masks on, right? So each time you put on your shoes, use this as a cue this week to help you to live into this unity. It's not easy. But when you sit down to lace on your shoes or slip them on or Velcro them over or slip your toes into your flip-flops, Pray this prayer. Lord, make me ready to spread peace. If you can't remember all that, say, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. I believe that the more that we can invite God to create that space in us, the more we will have eyes that look for peace and look to create peace where there is division. So I hope that you'll take that with you this week, and I hope that uh, you will find a way to put on the shoes that can bring peace 
to this world. Uh, I pray that you will be able to proclaim and to work for that each time you lace up and prepare to go out into the field this week. And so may we also redefine how we see others as winning or losing. I want to invite us into a moment of uh, prayer together. And so uh, I'll share a prayer, and then I want to invite us to join together in the Lord's Prayer. And the prayer that I want to share comes from the, the, the United Methodist Bishop for the state of Florida. Um, and this was a prayer that they sent out to us to share um, with our congregation. And I felt like it really just captured the moment. So um, I'll lead this. I want to invite you to join your voice at home as we share the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Creator of us all. Sorry, there we go. Okay. Uh, creator of us all. You are the source of every blessing the judge of every nation, and the hope of earth and heaven. We pray to you after this important and historic election, and we call to mind the best that is within each one of us, that we live under God, that we are indivisible, that liberty and justice extend to all. We acknowledge the sin that runs through our country and our nation and our history, the displacement of Native people, racial injustice, a legacy of slavery, deep economic inequality, and even regional separation. And yet, God, we profess a deep and abiding gratitude for the goodness of ordinary people who have made sacrifices, who have sought opportunities, who have journeyed to this land as immigrants, strengthening its promise in successive generations, who have found freedom on these shores and defend this freedom at tremendous cost to themselves. So be with us in the days to come. Remind us that your ways are not our ways and that your power and might transcend the plans of every nation and that you, O God, are not mocked. Let those who follow your son, Jesus Christ, be a peaceable people in the midst of division. Send your spirit of peace and justice and freedom among us. Break down the walls of political partisanship and make us one. Give us wisdom to walk in your ways, courage to speak in your name, and the humility to trust in your providence. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.